Asamudasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Samudasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Samudasa So I don't know how it's going for you. <laughs> you are still here. <laughs> That's, I have a lot of gratitude for you because uh, I used to lead the retreat in West Virginia and uh, uh, many people were leaving on the first day, second day. But you actually have kept the tradition, you are still here. So I'm so happy to, for your practice, actually. So this uh, evening, I would like to, I would like to talk about uh, uh, the, the way to peace and happiness. Uh, using the Noble Eightfold Path. I think most of you, uh, that's your aspiration to be happy and be peaceful. It's a very good subject to talk about, but also it's a long subject. It took the Buddha a whole 40, uh, 40, uh, 40, uh, 45 years to talk about only about that. Can you imagine? The Buddha taught about happiness, suffering, fasting. He taught about the truth of suffering and the cause of suffering, and then happiness and how to be happy, how to attain happiness. It took him 45 years. So I have only 40, 45 minutes. <laughs> That's quite a work, quite a job. <laughs> but I'll do my best. There is a, a Hindu legend, and uh, it's, very, it's related to what I'm going to talk about. According to this legend, there's a Brahma, which is the upper god, the creator, had given uh, divinity to people, but they abused it. They misused divinity. And then he was really uh, puzzled what to do. People were not using the power or the divinity. They're supposed to use it, but they're misusing it. So he consulted many uh, gods, many uh, half-gods, asking them the solution. So then he said, you know, let us hide this happiness, but we don't know where we are going to hide it. What is a suitable place to hide divinity. Then uh, they suggested that maybe let us hide it in uh, earth itself. But Brahma said, no, 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 no. People are going to dig. In our modern time, we use bulldozers. So, you know, we excavate. <laughs> so he said, no, no, no. It's useless to hide it in the earth. And then they went for another meeting. And they suggested another solution. Uh, let us hide it in uh, deep seas, oceans, or at the bottom. And then the Brahma said, you know, people are going to dive. They will do deep diving and they will find it. Actually, I was a diver in my past life, scuba diving instructor in Thailand. So 
I was looking for happiness also there. <laughs> That's why I became a monk. <laughs> I didn't find it. Uh, then Brahma refused, said no, they will find it. Then uh, they say they will find it in the mountain, in the earth, in the oceans. <coughs> what to do? Then the Brahma say, you know, let us hide it in human mind. They will not even bother. <laughs> As the legend goes, up to now, people are still searching for happiness everywhere. They travel to the moon, they, they dive in oceans, they go for vacations, only to come empty. I'm not saying don't go for vacations. But what's very interesting, uh, the, this Hindu story is talking about divinity, but actually let us substitute it with happiness and peace. We are still searching for peace and happiness, and we don't find it. Where is it? Outside there or here? Whatever you choose to find happiness is going to determine the way you are going to practice. If you feel that happiness and peace is out there, that's going to determine the methodology, the method you are going to use to be happy and peaceful. I'm, I'm talking about to be really happy, truly happy. But if you feel that you can find happiness inside you, then also that will determine the method to use to find peace and happiness. So, this talk is about finding happiness here, inside, inside you. The Buddha came to the scene and found out actually where they have hidden this happiness. <laughs> in his uh, first few phrases in the Dhammapada, he talks about uh, these are two phrases which actually give you an overview of where happiness is and suffering. The first phrase, he said that all actions are led by the mind. Mind's their maker. Mind, mind is the chief. Act or speak with the impure state of mind, and suffering will follow as a cat's wheel fall the foot of ox that pulls it. So, I don't know in America, but I've been in Asia, in Burma. I'm telling you, you see this, this uh, cow carrying a lot of merchandise, you know, big luggage. And then, the way they made this uh, cart, the wheels first are not like these cars. They are made of wood, so they are not actually aligned. They are bumpy. And the road is bumpy. And uh, really the whole animal is going through a lot of pain when it's pulling this luggage. And then the wheel, the cat's wheel, follows the foot of the ox that pulls it. So this is what happens in our life when we act out of uh, impure state of mind, uh, greed, hatred, and delusion, and fear, anxiety, and all this kind of thing. Suffering will catch us. It's a question of time, actually. As you see the gap between the, the foot of the ox and the, the cart's wheel, there's a, a distance there. So, soon or later, it catches up with the foot of the ox. 
Same when we do something and uh, uh, unskillful and we might have a little bit of happiness, a little bit, but later on we feel uh, some kind of uh, stress and anxiety and uh, fear and worry. So that's because of our state of mind. In here, outside conditions are just triggers. It's all here. <laughs> now, even when this uh, animal is carrying this luggage, it's really heavy luggage. It doesn't carry it with happiness. So whenever we do something with the impure state of mind, we are as if carrying a luggage, a huge luggage, weighing us down. So you can see in that image, it's a very powerful image, actually, image the Buddha gave in that uh, Dhammapada phrase number one. Now we go to the second phrase. All actions are led by the mind. Mind their maker. Mind is uh, the chief. Act or speak with a pure state of mind. And happiness will follow you like a shadow following you, following you without departing. So this is now the, the other side of the story. That when you act with a pure state of mind, that means with generosity, loving kindness, compassion and wisdom, then happiness will follow you as a shadow falls you without ever departing. So again, this is a very, very powerful image actually. I like the, the Buddha's images. The shadow, when you, are, you have a shadow, I think all of you have that experience. Have you ever had any problem carrying your shadow? Raise up your hand if you have ever had a problem. <laughs> it's very light. There's that sense of lightness. Eh? I mean, look at the shadow. You can carry it wherever you want. So happiness, you can carry it wherever you want. Even when you miss a flight like me. I missed a flight. <laughs> I was still happy, I'll tell you. <laughs> and there's also actually very interesting. There's, a dist there's no distance between you and the shadow. Who has... Uh, have uh, had a, a distance between a shadow and yourself. When you have a shadow, do you say di a, a distance? Like the first, the first uh, simile, there was a distance, but when it is a shadow, there's no distance between you and the shadow. So that shows the immediacy of happiness, that whenever you do something with a pure state of mind, happiness is sure to uh, come to you. So that's a menu you can choose. Actually, it's a small menu. <laughs> Not so big to choose from. We have either to choose from happiness or suffering. And we know what to do. Actually, I might as well end the talk here because that's the way. <laughs> that's the way. There's nothing much to talk about. Just choose from either one or the other. And then you have the way to happiness. But if I'm to talk more about uh, this uh, peace, uh, happiness project, <laughs> uh, let me, I think, expound it a little bit more by using the Noble Eightfold Path because that's a path to cultivating pure states of mind. So, when Buddha uh, attained enlightenment, this is what he said. This you find it in Dhammachakkapawatana Sutta, the, the discourse on setting the the, the Dharma wheel in motion. I'm just going to read as it says in the scripture. And what bhikkhus, 
is that middle way awakened to by the blessed one, which gives rise to vision, gives rise to knowledge, which leads to peace, to higher knowledge, to full awakening, to Nibbana. That's the final happiness. Then, the answer was, of course, it's just the Noble Eightfold Path. That is to say, right understanding, right thought, right speech, right action, right um, livelihood, right um, uh, efforts, and right mindfulness, and right concentration. That's what we call the Noble Eightfold Path. That's the path to happiness. You can't cut out corners. <laughs> That's the path we are practicing here. In the monasteries, we chant it. I've written a book about it. This one. Yeah, it will be available at the end of the retreat. It's called Drop by Drop, The Buddha's Path to True Happiness. I was on airplane, and then uh, I found a guy who's, who's teaching at Stanford. And we had a small chat, and then he said, you know, Bante, can I give this book? It's a little bit beaten up, but can I give you this book? I said, wow, that's wonderful. That's very generous of you. And then it says that a guide to developing life's most important skill, happiness. That's Matthew Richard. I've, I've met this monk. It's a great book. <laughs> this, I think they must have it here too. So Buddha talked about happiness. People have written a book about it. And uh, in the monastery, we chant it. I don't know whether they have developed some songs about it, but I'm sure they have. But still for me the question is, how can you bring this practice in this setting? Of course, when you are coming at Spirit Rock, you, you can see a, a, a prayer wheel. Eh? Have you seen it? It says, why is this? Why is understanding? Why is speech and all that thing? So actually, this is a, a prayer. People, I think, they rotate this wheel. And uh, it's wonderful because that's what the Buddha did. He, called, he gave it a metaphor of a wheel. The wheel has been set in motion and nobody can stop it. In other words, when you practice the Noble Eightfold Path, you are in the path. It keeps on roaring. If you practice it properly, nobody can stop you from being happy. Nobody, even external conditions, cannot stop you from being happy. Bringing it to my experience, I was coming here, and uh, I've traveled a little bit, actually, around the world, and uh, this first time I, I came to Colombo Airport, and then uh, ready to go, of course, to come here, and uh, the person changed, checked in the computer, said, we don't see your reservation. I thought it was a joke, <laughs> because I've traveled around the world, <laughs> and this was the first thing, this to happen. I'm not in a computer. I say, what can I do? I say, no, you cannot go. I have to come here to lead a retreat. And I say, I'm going to lead a retreat. <laughs> so then she say, you know, we cannot get you a flight from Colombo to Dubai. You can get a flight from Dubai to San Francisco, but all flights are full from Sri Lanka to Dubai. That I had all conditions to make me unhappy, actually. Because I've been planning <laughs> to come for this retreat, I don't know when, until I, I think since. Yes, yes. And of course, I had to rearrange my schedule and all the things. And here I am, I can't go to the same thing that I've been planning. You see, I have all the reasons to be unhappy. 
Now, I looked at this lady. I knew that actually uh, she's stressed out. I'm a monk in front of her. <laughs> this is a Buddhist country. <laughs> they do everything to help, actually, there. There in Sri Lanka, actually, monks have reserved seat on buses. I think you must have seen. Yes. In a train, even if there's no seat, they'll give a seat to a monk. So I knew that this lady has tried her level best. That actually I'm not on a flight, and she has, she's, she has tried her best to put me on a flight, but she fell. So I went to check again. She said, you know, I can't help. You have to book another flight. I said, what? I don't even have money to book a flight. I don't have <laughs> But I saw her frustrated because she tried so hard. And then I just smiled and I looked at her. I said, please, can you call people in Dubai? and see if they can find a flight for me. But with my smiling face, I can see the stress was just going away, and she became very friendly and said, yes, I think, no problem, we discussed, I think I can go tomorrow. I mean, our exchange started to be very, very good, and the stress was going away from her, and then she called, and Dubai people actually were very nice. They put me on the next flight exactly 15 hours. <laughs> 15 hours in the airport. <laughs> they put me on a flight, and I'd spend almost 15 hours on the airport in Sri Lanka. But I tried to not really get disappointed. I tried to get, not get disappointed. And uh, all what I had to do is to practice the Noble Eightfold Path. Meditating, walking, sitting, walking. Time passed very fast, actually. It passed very fast. But I've seen people missing a flight and they yell. They yell. <laughs> and for me, it's actually kind of fascinating because I sit back there and they say, Do you want to get cremated up there and have a cheap funeral? Because if you really, the bad weather, then you, they say you, the flight is cancelled and you scream. The question always I ask, okay, if you really want to scream and fly with the bad weather like this, well, the option is that you, your plane will crash and then you'll get uh, save money on a funeral because you get incriminated here. 3,200 miles above, eh? Uh, the, I think the, the advantage of that is you are closer to heaven, actually. <laughs> you don't need to come, maybe. <laughs> That's Ajahn Brahm's joke, actually. <laughs> so, but I've seen many, many times people complaining. I didn't have a single complaint, apart from advising the lady, actually, to book me a flight on this uh, Dubai thing. So, but I've seen many people screaming, Screaming at people really have nothing to do, really. I've seen, I knew that this lady has nothing to do with my stuff. <laughs> but people, when they scream at others and make them unhappy and themselves, of course, of course, eventually get unhappy, is actually the thing that they did it purposely. They did it purposely. <laughs> they don't see the causes and conditions in everything. So there's a cause and condition. When the flight is cancelled, there's a cause and condition. So can you be at peace? That's very important. 
So now, uh, this is my experience, of course. I went to Dubai, and uh, when I reached Dubai, I had to wait for six hours, another six hours, plus 15, that's around 21. <laughs> but I'm still happy moods. <laughs> I sat down, but I was, getting, I was starting to get a little bit hungry. And then I sat down, and I was meditating and all that. All of a sudden, there's a lady came and said, in front of me, she was kneeling in front of me. I said, Bante, are you from Uganda? I've heard about you and all these things. I couldn't believe. <laughs> she said, can I offer you breakfast? I needed breakfast, actually. <laughs> I don't know how this lady timed exactly. <laughs> and that's the time when I usually take breakfast. <laughs> yeah, so I think that was a, a very kind of hard. I got breakfast and I felt more happy. <laughs> I sat on the plane, very happy, and started sending meta. To, to her, and I was sitting in meditation there, and all of a sudden there's a, a girl was sitting behind me, uh, and a little bit of hand, and then she started touching me like this. <laughs> I said, who's touching me? <laughs> and I looked, it was actually a baby. <laughs> I mean, a small girl, toddler, toddler. I mean, it was uh, maybe a three years old, I think. Uh, and she was just touch like this <laughs> I, I don't know what the mother said I, didn't, I wanted to see what the mother was saying because the mother I don't remember the country but uh, yeah but it was kind of weird I was really enjoying meditation you know <laughs> it doesn't happen usually but this was a strange day <laughs> when I was <laughs> practicing metra and very happy because I had that break, good breakfast and the, the universe cooperated and all that Actually, things continue going on as I was happy. Somebody gave me a book about happiness. <laughs> I said, how about this, you know? You miss your flight. You wait for 21 hours. You fly for 20 hours. That makes around 40. And you get all these goodies, you know? <laughs> how about that? When you practice happiness, you find happy people. Yeah, it's a boomerang effect. Yes. <laughs> So going into what the Buddha talked, actually, it's very interesting. Uh, the Buddha talked about the Noble Eightfold Path. I'm going to go through it. Um, I will, uh, basically, I want to talk about what's the Noble Eightfold Path and uh, the benefits, the rewards of practicing it. And uh, how can we really practice it in a retreat setting? These are things I want to cover. Of course, in their life, you can refer to the book because it was all about how to put this Noble Eightfold Path in your day life. But really, uh, today let us explore how to really practice it on a cushion here and intensify it. The first one is called right understanding. There we are going to play with words in order to get it. Right understanding, for me, it means standing under my experience. When I'm standing under my experience, then I will have, that's a good start. So I'm, instead of right understanding, I'm saying standing under my experience. So what do I experience now? If I am able to understand it, then I'll have right understanding. Of course, traditionally, we know right understanding means right understanding the Four Noble Truths, suffering, the cause of suffering, uh, uh, the cessation of suffering, and then uh, the path to the cessation of suffering. 
that's the standard formula, but also there are so many other kind of right understanding, like understanding the law of karma. We are not going to go into that, actually. That's another talk. <laughs> understanding wholesome states and their causes, like generosity, loving kindness, and, uh, and uh, wisdom. Understanding uh, also unwholesome states and their causes, like greed, hatred, and delusion. So there's many kinds of right understanding, actually. Even there's another right understanding of uh, impermanence, suffering, and non-safe. All these look philosophical, uh, but actually we are going to simplify them, especially for new people. We are going to see how we can really bring it right under our nose, and we can practice it, actually. Though these terms are very unfamiliar to you, especially, especially not new people, but we are going to simplify it. But you know there's the first step to, uh, uh, to happiness is actually right understanding. Because if we have a wrong understanding, we cannot go anywhere. Even when you're driving a car, actually, when you're driving a car, you should know where you're going, isn't it? And also you should actually clean your windscreen. Especially in winter. Oh, in California, I don't have snow. Okay, you have some kind of fog or something like that, or dust on your windscreen. <laughs> if you drive with dust, a windscreen which have a lot of dust, do you think you'll uh, go reach safely where you're going? What do you do before you start driving? You clean the windscreen so that you have a very good view. That's why we have what we call right view here. We have the first fact of the Noble Eightfold Path is called right view. We must have the view where we are going. In fact, the same thing you need when you are going on a journey. You must have address where you are going. You must have uh, uh, directions. You must have uh, a clear windscreen. If you don't have those things, you are going to waste a lot of time and gas. <laughs> really, you must have those things. So, before we start the journey, we need to know to have right understanding. We, we are going to see what that means when you are breathing, actually. So, uh, but I like this, uh, I think James or William, I don't know, talked about this. He said that action without a vision is a nightmare, and vision without action is a daydreaming. I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes things that there are people they think that I'm going to practice, I don't care uh, some theoretical knowledge and understand this. I can fold my legs and meditate, breathing in and breathing out. I don't know about no boy for path. I just want to practice, my friends. If you have this kind of thing, you'll be kind of a nightmare, <laughs> right? So action without a vision is a nightmare, and vision without action is daydreaming. In other words, if you have a right understanding and then you don't practice, others still that's you'll be daydreaming. Oh yeah. The Buddha talked about the Noble Eightfold Path. It's very good. You enshrine it. You make music about right understanding. You start dancing. <laughs> oh, Buddha was smart. How did he figure this out? I'm telling you, having that vision is not enough. 
it will be a daydreaming and you won't go anywhere. It will be like sitting in a rocking chair. Now, there is another one. The second one is right thoughts. This is actually thought connected to non-greed, which is generosity, thoughts connected to uh, non-hatred, which is loving kindness, thoughts connected to uh, non-cruelty, that's uh, compassion. So when we have these kind of thoughts, then we have what we call right intention, right thought. All this is still on the paper, but we are going to see it when it goes to the practice. But it's good to have some theoretical knowledge, actually, uh, to, un- to know where we are going, because uh, it's very important to develop your mind so that you don't have negative states of mind. Because you have a right view, and if you have negative states of mind, you cannot even proceed further. It's like jumping in your car, and then it has a it's the right vision. You have the address, but you start... Uh, getting angry about everybody driving and you yell at people and then you don't yield because you're angry and then you bypass them and all that. So when you're driving, when you're angry, the journey is not that pleasant, you know? Is it? Especially when you're not generous. Driving also requires you to be generous. When you reach somewhere, you have to yield, isn't it? Yeah, and so is the meditation. You have to yield to the present moment. I like actually that, that, uh, that um, sign there, yield to the present. That's part of generosity. You have to yield. You have to allow yourself to be in the present. Yes, and allow others. So then that's right thoughts, and then we have rights, uh, rights, uh, part of, uh, rights, of course, part of the right uh, thought. I like to call it uh, selective thinking. Selective thinking. You think selectively because people can think anything under the earth, under the sun. But here with right thought, we learn how to think thoughts related to loving kindness, compassion, wisdom. So we actually don't think just everything, things we think about fear and all these things. Those things kind of... uh, those kind of thoughts agitate our nervous system and make us unhappy. But whenever we think about generosity, loving kindness, I, I, we feel happy, you know? So, in fact, when I think about somebody who gave me this book, I feel happy. That's the thoughts of loving kindness. And I say loving kindness. When I talk about the person who gave me a, a meal above all places in Dubai, you know? This is a Buddhist who has a shop in Dubai airport and trust me, I don't know how even he trust me and phone me and give me a meal. I feel loving kindness towards that person. So whenever you think about loving kindness, you feel happy. You generate a positive emotions and you feel happy. So you can do that also anytime in the meditation. I think we are going to give guided meditation and also meta so that you start to think selectively. Not just about everything, but think in the right direction. Then uh, we have another one, which is uh, right, uh, of course, right speech, right speech. Uh, That's another big piece in our life. (laughs) Right speech is a big thing in our life. Uh, Of course, that includes not telling lies. Uh, We know that what happens when you tell lies. You feel happy? No. In fact... 
uh, I have a kind of a saying which say that the, uh, the ability to tell a lie is a liability. <laughs> Again, playing with words. <laughs> the ability to tell a lie is a liability. How is it a liability and not an asset? Is every time uh, to tell a lie, you need to plan, actually. You need to be a good planner. Think what lie you are going to tell. <laughs> In other words, uh, it's really stressful, actually. That's why they developed, actually, at customs, this immigration, they have developed a gadget to know whether you are telling a lie or not by actually measuring the stress level. Do you, can you imagine? <laughs> That's amount of lie, amount of stress that lie brings. They have already got the machine. <laughs> Should they ask you a question and they, they put the machine there? Should they see that after talking and then they see this, the thing shows the stress level? That means it's a lie. So really, it's a liability. In fact, even after telling a lie, then you, you, you worry that they will find you, you know? That's not happiness, worrying that people are going to find you, you a lie, you know? Another thing, you must have a very good memory, actually, to remember all your lies, so, so that actually you don't have to, you just keep covering one lie after the other, you know? So, this is Buddha put it here, right speech. We must have right speech. That means telling the truth. Even the fibs, you know, white lies, we have white lies and fibs and... Yeah, convenient lies and institutional lies and <laughs> many kinds of lies. So, uh, that's right speech, but it doesn't end there. It talks about uh, not to speak harshly, speak in a kind way. Uh, if you want to be happy, you have to speak in a kind way. And then speak uh, in a way that uh, harmonize not in a divisive way. If you speak to separate people, and then you're going to create unhappiness within you and others. And also, um, there's another kind of speech which is called uh, uh, Sampapalapa. The fourth kind of speech is called abstaining from useless speech. Useless speech in Pali, it's called Sampapalapa. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> Meaningless speech doesn't lead to enlightenment. <laughs> Any speech that doesn't lead to happiness, peace, and knowledge, and vision, and nibbana, all this kind of speech is useless. <laughs> so it, we have to speak in a meaningful way. I mean, a speech connected to peace and happiness. These words are very interesting in different languages. Even in Uganda, it's called kupala palanya, pala pala pala, kupala palanya. So actually, the sound actually in different languages, so you can get the message that you are blah blah in, in any case. <laughs> so it doesn't lead. Actually, this is not so much a, a kind of uh, immoral, but uh, uh, talking is a big piece of us. But when you look, at how much time you waste in useless talks and how much you waste pe other people's life, uh, time, you find out it's really a huge chunk of time. I had a friend who was really talking, talking, and I mean, just keep on talking and you don't know when to stop him or... <laughs> I'm telling you, you end up always losing time, like one hour here and there and all that thing, you know. 
So uh, you, it's good actually to regulate your talk and then you'll be happy. Yes, yeah, so one of my first teachers in India told me actually that talking dazzles a lot of energy. You are, you are wondering why you are going to be happy after the retreat is actually because you're not talking. <laughs> yes, it saves energy. I mean, here we are going to learn tips actually why people who come to meditate, they're happy. You're going to get all the tips actually. Yes, you have plenty of energy saved and when you start talking, oh, you'll feel it. So then, uh, of course, uh, there's uh, another right action. That's part of the precepts that you've, t you've taken, the five precepts. It's part of it, like uh, not killing, not, uh, uh, not stealing, and uh, not uh, uh, committing sexual misconduct. That's part of right speech, actually. That makes you happy when you preserve life, when you protect life. I told you to stretch that one yesterday. Don't kill time. <laughs> you'll be more happy here. If you don't kill time, that means you'll be practicing. And of course, not taking what's not given is not stealing. In a positive sense, I told you, is be, con be contented with whatever is available. You know the most, the, the, the richest person in the world, you know? Can you tell me? Bill Gates? No, the one who is contented. When you are contented, you are always going to be happy with whatever it is. Of course, here I told you, you have to be contented with whatever is available. And also, I didn't expect you to take what's not given, but I, actually we can do it without knowing. When you start speaking, you are taking somebody's noble silence. Does, has somebody given you that? No. So if I start, let's say, talking to you, I'm stealing. <laughs> I'm taking what's not given, you know. We are all observing total silence and noble silence, and I start breaking it. That means I'm taking what's not mine. So we can extend this, actually, also in our retreat setting, and we see, because I don't expect anybody to take what's not given here, but we can extend it not to speak, not to take what's not given. So we go to right livelihood. Uh, that's uh, also part of the sila, ethical conduct. Oh. This right livelihood is actually, uh, it means not practicing five kind of trades, like trading in weapons and uh, poison and human being, meat and uh, uh, drugs and all that. So there are five kind of trades that the Buddha taught us if we want to uh, practice right livelihood. But really, in practice, it means not really uh, uh, practicing wrong speech, uh, wrong actions, and wrong understanding. So if we are practicing right understanding, right thought, right speech, to that extent we are abiding in right livelihood. But here, you are sitting here on a cushion. I think you don't have to worry. Actually, as far as the retreat is concerned, you have already practiced the three. That means right speech, right action, and right livelihood. So you don't have to worry about those three. At the beginning of the retreat, you have already taken these precepts, and you are practicing the three out of the Noble Eightfold Path. Now there are five remaining. Five one, you have to really be in a retreat to intensify them. 
in, in, in an retreat setting, we don't get much chance, actually, because we practice on a part-time basis. One time you practice right thoughts, another time you practice the right action, and then, okay, on Monday I'm going to practice right mindfulness. So I think you have made also a schedule for the Noble Eightfold Path <laughs> on a part-time basis. In a retreat setting, we get to practice the Noble Eightfold Path on a full-time basis. And that's what generates a lot of happiness, as we are going to see. So we got to write uh, action, and that's, uh, of course, uh, action uh, to let go all negative states of mind and skillful states of mind, like greed, hatred, and delusion, and to cultivate positive states of mind, like uh, loving kindness, compassion, generosity, and wisdom. So really the function of uh, right action is to push to put uh, these defilements at bay and open floodgates for wholesome states of mind. That's what it does. Coupled with the next one, which is uh, right mindfulness, and its function is to guard, to guard the mind from uh, tormenting mind states. So uh, you can see how those, those two mind states work together, actually in the retreat setting, as you observe the breath and you become aware of it, you try to guard your mind from negative states of mind. So mindfulness, I think I need to talk about it because it's so common. Everybody is talking about mindfulness. Uh, of all the translation of mindfulness, uh, for, because for me, Pali speaks to me, like the word is sati, Pali, I'm a student of Pali language, I understand it, but the word mindfulness has always been confusing for me. Is it a mind which is full? Is it carefulness? I mean, some people have diluted this word mindfulness. It's as if it means to be careful, be mindful of opening that door. But actually, they don't know the meaning of this word. It's been used interchangeably with carefulness. But it goes beyond that. The translation that I like most of on, from uh, all the translation I've had is observing power. That's the uh, Seattle Upandita talk about observing power. Because we talk about things like nouns, but actually they are really verbs. It's a process, observing. So you have that observing power to watch what's going on in your body, in your feelings, in emotions, in your uh, different mind states. So you are observing. Yeah, what's, the, what's going on is actually um, observing. Not even the observer. The idea of silent observer is also confusing. It's as if there's something inside there observing. It's a mind state. Its function is to, uh, to know what's going on in the present moment. To be aware of the present moment. So we practice mindfulness of the body. Today we started it with the body. Then there's the feelings. Uh, we talk about feelings. Then we'll talk about mind, mind states and emotions and uh, thoughts. So that's all mindfulness as we are going to see how it unfolds. So that will keep us happy. I'll tell you how actually happiness arises from all these mind states. Then you will know why you are happy when you practice let us talk about the right concentration. Uh, this is actually, in Pali, it's called the Kusala Chitta Ekagata. Uh, so, Kusala Chitta Ekagata. 
uh, a wholesome state of mind. It's a one-pointedness state of mind. It's actually, it functions to focus wholesome states of mind, to focus them, you know. So you can see uh, how these three mind states work, uh, three mind states work. Energy is to keep defilements at bay and um, open floodgates for wholesome states of mind. And then mindfulness is to gather your mind from unwholesome states of mind. And then concentration is to focus all wholesome states of mind. So when the three work together in, in a retreat setting, they have a power to overpower all negative states of mind. Because they, they work together full time. Not only, okay, today I'm going to practice right concentration, tomorrow right mindfulness, another day, uh, it's like pick, pick and choose. So the whole thing has to come together to practice together if you want to be happy. Of course, uh, right understanding uh, itself uh, in the first meditative uh, 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 absorption, the happiness arises due to, this, to seclusion from unwholesome uh, states of mind. In fact, all the four jhanas, all meditative states of mind, uh, uh, these uh, absorptions, it's about happiness and letting go. You let go, negative states of mind, and then they are substituted with happiness. Like happiness due to seclusion from unwholesome states of mind, happiness due to concentration, happiness due to, uh, to mindfulness. So all these levels of happiness actually they are very refined when you practice the Noble Eightfold Path. Now, I tell you why you are happy. The Buddha gave a reason here. Just remember this actually. Because People they will say, oh, darling, where are you coming from? I'm coming from the retreat. Do you feel happy? What's happening there? I was sitting and walking and observing the breath. Is that all? <laughs> yes, we stood up and we did a little bit of yoga and then moving, lifting, pressing. <laughs> you are crazy. Why didn't you go for vacation? <laughs> You'll get a good suntan and all this. We have a nice meal, it will make you happy. You missed a lot. Music, we had nice reggae music. and <laughs> You were observing the breath all the time. You should go to a psychotherapy. Actually, somebody advised me one time. <laughs> somebody told me like that. He asked me... Uh, that time I was not a monk. He asked me, what were you doing actually before you started meditating? That time I was working at IMS on the East Coast. I was in a bus sitting next to him. And What were you doing after, before you became a meditator? I said, you know, I was having a good life in Thailand and diving and a resort and good food, good music and everything. And you left all that? The eyes were like this. He couldn't believe they nearly fell out of his head. He, yes, I say, yes, I'm meditating. He asked me, what do you do when you're meditating? No, I cross my legs and I sit comfortable and just close my eyes and breathe in and breathe out. So you should be, go to a psychiatric, actually. <laughs> you must have a problem. This guy actually was an Italian-American working in that uh, resort in, in Las Vegas, you know. 
He said, you know, I'm having a good time in Las Vegas. I said, I'm having a good time at IMS. <laughs> so we are in a draw. <laughs> I'll tell you how you get happy with practicing Noble Eightfold Path. This is given in the scriptures, actually. Uh, in one sutta, which is called Upanisa Sutta. Another one is uh, in Kimata Sutta. You get it. This, this is actually the standard mental state that arises when you practice the Noble Eightfold Path. For instance, uh, right, right, right understanding. When you practice right understanding and you're really mindful, you know about the Noble Eightfold Path, and then since you understand suffering, you are not caught in suffering. So what happens, this is what happens. There are different mental states that arise that are going to take you to the place of happiness. And they arise naturally. They arise naturally. Like, uh, this is what the Buddha gave. He gave a very good analogy. Like when the rain eh, rains on the top of the hill, what happens is the water goes down through river rates, and then it goes to the river, and then to the ocean. That's what happened. It's a natural course. Naturally, when the water, it rains, water goes down, river rates, and it goes in the river, and then lakes, and then it, it will end up in the ocean somewhere. So the same thing when you practice the Noble Eightfold Path properly, not on a part-time basis, but on a full-time basis here, as you're self-employed here, you know, on a cushion, <laughs> I know that's what you have to do. That's your job. <laughs> so you have to, when you practice like this, the first thing that is going to happen is faith and confidence. When you practice right understanding, what's going to come out of that is faith and confidence. That, ah, there is a way to this mess. I don't know you, but I've ever got lost in Tibet for 12 hours the whole day, and the next day, that makes 24 hours, I was lost for those days. I'm telling you, I was hopeless. I could not see the way here. There's a river. On the other side, there's a mountain. I just kept on walking with two Americans. I'm telling you, it's the most hopeless thing to get lost and you don't see a road out. But once you see it, I'm telling you, once I saw the road after two days of traveling, run out of food and water and all everything. I saw the road that is going to go <laughs> to get me out of this mess. I'm telling you, I was full of happiness. I was full of happiness. Because if I walked the third and fourth day, I would, be, I would be dead. There was no food. There was no water. I'm telling you, I had a lot of faith and confidence. I said, wow, I've got out of this. I felt very strong, actually, about it. So when you have right understanding and you say, ah, this is the noble eightfold path that leads to, uh, to, to happiness, to peace, to enlightenment, what is going to happen is faith and confidence. That's the exit. On the, uh, conversely, if you, you don't have right understanding, what is going to happen is you are going to collapse in suffering. You collapse into it and then, ah, Yes, that's how we are born, you know, what can we do? We are helpless beings. We collapse. <laughs> and then, 
everything comes in our life is suffering. Whatever we touch is suffering. Even if somebody gives you a nice comment, a compliment, yeah, I like your hair, do. Oh, no. you, go immediately, you go immediately in the mirror and check. No, no they, are, they are wrong. <laughs> Even with a positive compliment, you take it to be negative. You know? So, uh, this is very important. These are the me- mental states that arise, actually. I'm going to read them so that you get it clear. If somebody asks, why are you happy after the retreat, you say this, what happened? I was watching the breath, and what happened? I got faith and confidence. After that, joy arose. Gladness. <laughs> Pamoja. In, in Pali, it's called Pamoja. If you can't say it in Pali, don't worry. Don't bite your tongue. So you just said joy arose, actually. I was sitting and I felt joy. After joy, I mean, actually, the first one is called gladness. is Pamoja. Then after that is joy, pity. In Pali, it's called pity. Joy arose. After joy, what happens next is tranquility. Pasadi, that's tranquility. After that, happiness. Happiness arose, uh, that's called sukha. And then, the next one, it's a men- all these are mental events. Uh, meditative composure, which is samadhi. And after that, seeing things as they really are. Yatabutanyanadasana in Pali. Seeing things as they really are. Because once you have a concentrated mind, you see things as they really are. Whether it's aversion, whether it's anxiety, whatever it is, you're going to see it clearly. Then from that uh, seeing things as they really are, you, you start di- what we call disenchantment. Disenchantment in Pali is Nibida. Uh, this is actually not a negative state of mind, but is actually really turning away, turning away from all these uh, uh, defilements. Disillusioned, in other words, with all these defilements. And now another one is called, uh, uh, is called uh, dispassion. That's uh, viraga in Pali. Viraga means not gluing. In other words, letting go. You know when you glue on something, you glue on something like superguru, you glue on something. (laughs) But once you have this kind of a mental state which is natural through your practice, then you you feel discharted and then you have dispassion. You are not gluing on things. You are not even gluing yourself on negative mental states that lead to suffering. You know sometimes... We, glued, we are glued on anger, aversion, all difficult mental states. In, we, the thing that we want to be happy, but we do the very thing that keeps us unhappy. That's the problem. The thing when you follow the Noble Eightfold Path, you actually not, won't have this problem because you know what it takes. So then from Nibida, from um, Viraga, then you go to what you call Vimuti, which means liberation. So this path takes you all the way to liberation. In other words, happiness and peace are just bonus. We are talking about a paradigm shift, really shifting our life from uh, suffering to happiness, total happiness, not only just one day or two, not only for a weekend, but the entire life you can be happy. Now, when you practice this... uh, right action, right speech, and all that. What makes you happy is actually freedom from remorse. 
freedom from remorse. I told you what makes you happy with right understanding is faith and confidence. For the other mental states like right understanding, right speech, and right livelihood, what really makes you happy after observing the five precepts here fully, full time, in a retreat? After that, I don't know what you will do. But I'm telling you, freedom from remorse leads to gladness, leads to joy, leads to happiness. So that's how happiness arises. I've told you, that's what the, actually the whole thing starts like that. With even like right, under, right mindfulness, right, uh, uh, right uh, concentration and right effort, it's actually freedom from the five hindrances. When you are temporarily even free from the five hindrances, which we are going to talk about, like greed, hatred, and, and, uh, and uh, this uh, restlessness and worry, sleepiness and doubt, actually you are, you are free. You are free from those tormenting mind states and you'll be happy. That's why you are going to experience happiness, actually. Now, lastly, I would like to talk about how it happens on, in a single breath. We are going to peel the Noble Eightfold Path from the book and put it in our mind. Not just practice it in a book, but actually in a single breath. So I'd like you to take a deep, slow breath. Deep, slow breath. Another one. Give me another one. Deep, slow breath. One more. One more. The third one. Deep, slow breath. And now relax. Now you can open your eyes. Can you imagine that the Noble Eightfold Path is in your breath? Do you know that? The entire Noble Eightfold Path is in a single breath. That means when you come on a retreat, you are practicing it millions of times. No wonder you are happy after this retreat. You look at other people's eyes after the retreat, they will be shining. Really? <laughs> because you are practicing many, many times this happiness project without even knowing. The instruction are gradual, <laughs> but it's actually the whole path is there. Okay, let us tra track it down because we are running out of time. So let us track down the noble eightfold path. When you take a, a breath, the breath is part of the five aggregates. I don't want to be so philosophical, but uh, I'm not even going to mention the five aggregates. But you know that the breath is a form. The breath is a form. Air is a form. So, in right understanding, we are asked to understand the first noble truth, and the first noble truth is actually part of it is the five processes, like form, feelings, perception, and all that. So, the breath is being a form, so when you actually become aware of the breath, you are practicing right understanding. Right? Right understanding. And then, you have to Incline your mind. You have to have the right intention to take a deep breath. Otherwise, you just pick a clock when I give you the instruction. But when I gave you the instruction, you had to uh, incline your mind towards observing the breath. And when you are doing it, you didn't have greed, hatred, and delusion. Did you? Because your mind was all focused on the breath. You didn't think about, oh, when am I going to eat that chocolate in the fridge or something like that. <laughs> no, at that moment, at least, in that second, there was no actually desire. <laughs> That's right thought. There was no aversion. So you see, the Noble Eightfold Path is under here. You can even touch like this. <laughs> it's under your nose. <laughs> Not in a book. <laughs> it's in your body. So that's why we apply it on a retreat here. Now, we got right... Uh, 
Okay, we are going to skip right speech and right action and right livelihood because you're already doing it. Let us go to effort, right effort. That means the, 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 uh, that's the, the six. Right effort, if you don't have effort to observe the breath, you cannot observe it. In other words, I'm going to give you the instruction. You say, oh, you know, I'm restless. I can't observe the breath and all that. No, you can't apply your mind to it. The breath is always there. You, <laughs> you cannot apply your mind. In other words, you don't have mental energy to watch the breath. That's very simple. So in order, if you did it, and then you took a deep, soul breath and your mind full of it, then you are practicing right thought, I mean right, right, right effort. Because at that time, you are uh, cutting off the defilements and you are practicing right speed, I mean right, uh, right effort. So lastly, the two mental states, what we call right mindfulness. Mindfulness, I've told you, is the observing power. You had to observe the breath. That's why you, I, I say one, two, three. You didn't go on indefinitely. That means you're observing this is the first breath, the second breath. So you're observing as it comes in, as it goes. So that's part of right mindfulness. And right concentration, when I told you to observe the breath, you didn't observe your feet. Did you? No, you had to, put, to concentrate. So you see all the eight factors of the Noble Eightfold Path. You are practicing it every moment. And that's the importance of the retreat. Because at the retreat, you have no excuse. You are not cooking. You are not, everything comes to you. Everything is controlled here. You have retreat managers, such wonderful retreat managers, doing everything, recording. So you have no excuse not to observe your breath or your mind and body processes. So you are actually working full-time on happiness projects. Isn't it? And now at the end of the retreat, you are going to come again, here again, and say, I have to come for the retreat because I'm happy. But why are you happy? You know from today why when you come to meditate on intensive retreat, because you intensify your practice. And then you can watch the breath as far as long as you want. <laughs> Not, oh, at home I'm watching my breath, and then somebody cries, and then... Uh, you, somebody call, you know, ring and all these things. And then you forgot I have to go to Walmart for shopping and all this. And then you, oh yeah, I have to go for watch the movie. And then the noble eightfold path is going haywire. <laughs> you are yo-yo, yo-yo, yeah? Yo-yo practice. Then that's why there's not a lot of happiness. You generate a lot of happiness here when you're actually practicing like this in unison. All the factors have to be in unison and intensify your practice. That's why we tell you don't do other things. Please just practice and boil your practice. You have to boil your practice, not warming it. At home there, you are just warming your practice. Ah, I will practice tomorrow, and then it goes down. It goes back to zero. And then you start a little bit, 15 minutes, and then your Uncle John comes, and oh, let's go for party. <laughs> and then, but here you are boiling it. I would like you to, this is an invitation, I would like you to boil your practice to 100% degrees so that you know how all the Noble Eightfold Path works and then you'll be happy always. I wish you happiness in, entire, in your life and your retreat and you, you can practice this Noble Eightfold Path 
actually even at home. Today we have discussed how to practice on the intensive learning retreat, but actually you can also take it home. Don't leave it here. That's why I wrote a book about drop by drop, how to apply the Noble Eightfold Path in daily life there. There's also another approach there. It's drop by drop. Here it's not drop by drop. Here you have to boil your practice. Thank you very much for listening. Let us sit for a moment or two. Tupamaya sabbe san satanam suko kamato pasitwa kamato metta sabbasate subhavaye Having seen that all beings like oneself have a desire for happiness, one develops loving kindness and all these homes, wholesome states of mind, methodically, for the benefit of oneself and all beings. May you all attain Nibbana in this very lifetime. Nibbana is the highest happiness. It goes in stages. So you can start now, it's not too late. Thank you very much. I offer this for your reflection. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.